started in a word of prayer. Lord, thank you for everyone here today. Lord, many people around the world that are brothers and sisters in Christ are being persecuted. We lift them up to you. We, uh, we mourn with those who have lost their life. We don't even know who they are. Lord, lots of people are struggling with various things right now. Pain, uh, emotional pain, turmoil, relational pain. There's so many things that are going on. And some of us in this room maybe are dealing with those things. Lord, please help our minds to be clear, to be able to focus on you. But Lord, also as Jesus commands, that if we have sin with a brother or sister in Christ, it is better to get up, leave, and go get right with that brother or sister. Help us, Lord, to be a forgiving, gracious people, knowing that you are the God who was so gracious to us and that you loved us while we were still yet your enemies, and that you died for us and shed your own blood to redeem a people for your own possession who would be zealous for good deeds. God, help us to recognize and to look to the scriptures daily, to be diligent studiers, to be those who love you, that you, Jesus Christ, would be cherished in our hearts and our minds, and that we would strive in all of our striving and all of our strength that you supply us through your grace, that we would be focused on you and your gospel, and that it would transform our lives, that we'd be dedicated dedicated to you more and more each day, obeying your commands, knowing your laws, and loving them, loving you. Amen. Romans 9, 24 through 29. says, even us, whom he also called, not from among Jews only, but also from among Gentiles, as he says also in Hosea, I will call those who are not my people, my people, and her who was not beloved, beloved, and it shall be that in the place where it was said to them, you are not my people, there they shall be called sons of the living God. Isaiah cries out concerning Israel, Though the number of the sons of Israel be like the sand of the sea, it is the remnant that will be saved. For the Lord will execute his word on the earth thoroughly and quickly. And just as Isaiah foretold, unless the Lord of Sabaoth had left to us a posterity, we would have become like Sodom and would have resembled Gomorrah. So, even us, whom he also called, so Paul is drawing out the reality that it includes us too who have received this calling. And so the calling begins back in Romans 9, verses 1, all the way through 23. And he's talking about calling. 
So he goes back, he talks about essentially Abraham's calling, then Isaac's, but Ishmael is dismissed or not called to this purpose. So you have Abraham and Isaac, not Ishmael, and not Abraham's other children with the, the wife Keturah, as you can read in uh, Genesis account. And then you have Jacob and Esau descending from Isaac. So you have Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Esau is left. He is not called. He doesn't have the elective choice and purpose of God put upon his life. This is God's calling, God's choice, God's will being done. And then he talks also about Pharaoh. And so we have people that we see that are selected by God, called by God to receive his mercy and his grace. And then we also have an example of somebody who is willed by God, hardened by God to receive wrath, that being Pharaoh as the example. And so we have positive examples of recipients of mercy. And we also have somebody who is called or elected unto um, wrath and uh, ultimate um, eternal damnation. And so getting down to here, Paul adds us. So primarily the book of Romans, or the letter to the Romans, was primarily a Gentile church. And if you read in Acts 2 through 4, one of the people groups of all these Israelite men and women who came back to Jerusalem during the time that heard Peter's preaching were Romans. So Roman Israelites, Israelites that were off in Rome, had come back to the temple for worship, heard Peter's sermon, and over 3,000 souls were saved that day. And then other, as the, as the uh, Acts goes on, more people are added to their number in the Jerusalem church. Most theologians understand and believe, due to the timeline of when the letter was written here, that those people that were there at Peter's sermon, after a time of being built up in the word and knowing the gospel of Jesus Christ and re receiving a lot of New Testament teaching from Peter and the other apostles in the Jerusalem church, would have went back to Rome and all those other areas. And this church would have, they, these guys, actually, like Peter, preached to Cornelius, realized that the gospel was for the Gentiles too. Now, some of the people in Rome could have been... Um, converted through Paul's various earlier missionary journeys to other parts of the northern Mediterranean Sea, like north of Israel, like the Galatian, modern-day Turkey area. And then there was lots of trade between you know, Greece and that area and Rome. And the word would have spread and the church would have been developed and established there. So... He's talking to the Roman people who were there, and they were predominantly Gentiles, and we'll read that later in, in Romans 15. I'm speaking in Romans 11 and coming up here. I'm writing to you Gentiles, and I'm magnifying my ministry as an apostle. So he specifically says, I'm primarily writing to Gentiles in this letter. But in these scriptures, he's talking to Gentiles about the Israelite people and the Gentile people, and essentially in 9 through 11... Well, there's lots of specific little doctrines going on. You know, we would think that this is the main... How many of you think that the sovereignty of God would be the main purpose of chapters 9, 10, and 11? Well, that's there. I would say that that's the, the, actually the second biggest thing. The biggest thing I, that most guys believe is that Paul is very much 
it continues all the way through the end of the letter here in chapter 15 and 16, is joining Jews and Gentiles that they'll stop being anti one another. That's the whole theme from 9 through 16. Continually it's repeated. What's repeated over and over again? Come together as one church. Come together as one new people, one church and the people of God. And so Paul is dealing with that, showing these nuances in the text of how this is. So Jews, you guys who know the Old Testament, the Gentiles are now equipped with Paul's letter and are able to show them from the scriptures, this was God's plan all along, guys. Let's be together as one church worshiping Jesus Christ. Okay? We don't have to be separate. We don't have to be in separate synagogues and separate churches and not worship together. So he's dealing with uniting Jew and Gentile. He's showing from the scriptures how they're united. So that's the big theme overall. Okay? Does everybody understand that? How many of you understand that there's still racial tension in the world today? <laughs> and it's a big deal to a lot of people. Well, it's a big deal to God because actually in a lot of Paul's letters, he deals with racism. He deals with uh, gender inequality. Not how we believe that. There's a lot of biblical nuance that needs to be done there. Sorry for using the term nuance. There's a lot of things that need to be defined there biblically. So modern feminism is not okay biblically. Um, actually, the feminine movement is to degrade men in every way they can and actually have a low view of men and actually treat men as, as if they're not equal. Did we understand that? Okay. The move is not equality. The move is superiority in general. <coughs> In God's eyes, just to define this in basic, in God's eyes, men and women are equal in worth and value. They are not equal in role or responsibility. Does everyone understand that? There are certain things that women were not made to do, and there are certain things that men were not made to do, and you're not to strive to want to do the other sex's role. That's sin, because God made you who you were. And you're rebelling against God if you're rebelling against your own gender and what God designed you to be and do. So women and men are equal in the eyes of God to be recipients of mercy and grace. Even the Jews struggled with this during the time. Some of their teaching at the time had a lower view of women that was not equal in worth and value. They believed that the superior roles that the men had meant that the women were actually lower in other ways. And so their theology erred. It went astray, and Jesus corrected that in a lot of his Gospels. That women were worthy of love and the call of the Gospel and recipients of grace. And Peter says that, that women are co-equal recipients of the calling of grace and of salvation. Okay, so off the tangent there. Speaking to the Gentiles, whom he also called. And so the calling here, getting back to it, is the calling of mercy that he showed through Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Okay? And this calling, this calling unto salvation, this giving of mercy that God decrees and gives to people through his will, it's not from among Jews only, but also, also... From among Gentiles. Amen. 
Do you guys understand that by God's choice in the ancient world, the majority of Gentiles were left to wrath and destruction? All the other tribes, all the other people groups were not called by God. And if you read Romans 9, 1 through 6, you'll see how many special things God gave the Israelite people that he did not give every other people group on earth at the time. This is a really big deal. This is a major general change in God's plan. He'd always planned it, and we're going to see from the prophets, they decreed it early, early on, that this was God's plan in the future. And so, the Gentiles, you guys, except for one of us, and, you know, <laughs> the Gentiles are so excited about this salvation, so Paul says in Hosea, actually, in commentators argue back and forth, Not, I don't want to say argue, meaning they're fighting over this, but this can be understood that this will also happen to Israel, this passage. But God's in, there's different ways you can, you can view this all together. So I don't want to go into all that now because I believe I will trip myself up and maybe some of you guys up with some of that. But understanding that God's call is for Jews and Gentiles. And so he says in Hosea concerning what I believe to be Gentiles and uh, other good conservative theologians that He's going to call those who were not my people, my people. And so, like I said, beforehand, these people were not God's people. They did not have this calling of mercy and grace upon their life. They didn't have access to the truth of God, and God was not bringing them the faith that they needed through special revelation, the scriptures. And he was not igniting their heart through faith. But in the prophets and in old times, does anybody remember the book of Jonah? The letter of Jonah. Short little book, but it's really special. We see God perform a salvific work to an entire people group at large. Now, this is just one, though. He didn't go everywhere with Jonah. God decided to send Jonah, a guy who hated Gentiles, who wanted the Ninevites to be destroyed. And he used him to go in, an angry prophet who's angry at the people he's talking to. So not in love. This message is not in love from this guy. It is not a loving message. But he says exactly what God, he's like, just repent. And he marches through the whole city for like three or four days saying repent. Okay? That's not a very exhaustive sermon, right? And that's not a message of love, is it? Was it, was it Jonah's winsome character that converted the Ninevites? So, so the Spirit of God worked through the words, not the messenger. The messenger was used, but it's the words ignited by the Spirit of God that opens hearts and minds to God. You do not have to be a handsome, winsome, perfect preacher to share God's truth and for people to be converted and saved. Matter of fact, the book of Jonah shows you can be the worst 
guy who hates the people that you're talking to, and God can still perform a work of salvation. Now, most of us would think that's impossible, right? That's the point. It's impossible with man, but with God, all things are possible. That's one of the points that John. So, I will call, and I want you to notice the I, and the I will, and the call. So called, God is the one who willed to call those who were not his people. Now they're being called my people. A very endearing term. They are mine. Jesus said in John chapter 10, I know my own, and my own know me. And they listen to my voice. They hear me. Jesus told Pilate, Those who are of the truth, hear me. And then Pilate said, what is truth? Showing that Pilate was not of the truth or of Jesus. And all the Jews throughout the Gospel of John, as John describes this whole theme, to be of God and to be of the truth means to hear Jesus and to love him and to look at him and to be glad, to have a faith that is glad and happy and content in knowing Jesus and pursuing Jesus with your life. And there are many people in the book of John who did not have that. They did not have that knowledge of him, nor did God know them. I know my own and my own know me. Jesus did not endearingly know everyone on the whole earth. He didn't pray for everyone. I pray for them who will believe in me through their word, speaking of the disciples' word, the apostles. I do not pray on behalf of the whole world, he says, to believe in their word. Jesus didn't pray for everybody in the whole world in John 17. I will call those who are not my people my people, her, her who was not beloved, beloved. So my people, being God's people, is a very endearing thing. It means to be beloved of God, to be cherished of God, to receive the call of God, and to have the Holy Spirit ignite faith through the message preached. It's wonderful. God loves you. As we learn in Romans 8, there's an amazing inheritance, and we can't even fathom all of the riches of what heaven and the new earth are going to be like that God has promised to those whom he calls beloved. But we should study, and we should be excited to learn more about that, and we should be motivated to be all about the master's business, who owns us, who's purchased us, who's given his own life to purchase and redeem us, and to cover us with his life, with his perfection. Verse 26, And it shall be said in the place where it was said to them, this is, some theologians get really particular about the word the place and their geographical terms. Okay, Israel was the only geographical place in general that God was working. We talked about Jonah. That's a different geographical area, technically outside of Abraham's covenant blessing, the physical land blessing. So there's places far away, here being one of them, I love Chance's, Pastor Chance's sermons a month, month or so ago, two months ago, talking about, from Isaiah, 
Isaiah is full of calls to the Gentiles, and we'll see more of that in Romans uh, 10 and 11. Isaiah talked a lot about God's salvation going out to the Gentile peoples and then celebrating. So hopefully you guys all celebrate. In that place, a faraway geographic place, different lands, where it was said to them, you are not my people, there, in these other places, it shall, they shall be called sons of the living God. And so we have my people, their beloved, their sons. My people, their beloved, their sons. They are called this by me. And they're sons of the living God. Isaiah cries out concerning Israel. And so we dealt with the Gentiles in 25 and 26. Not from among Jews only, but also from Gentiles. And this actually just flows right into these quotes from Hosea. Now he's going to address the Jews again. So getting back to from among the Jews in verse 24. Isaiah cries out concerning Israel. Okay, so the nation of Israel. Though the number of the sons of Israel be like the sand of the sea, meaning millions are innumerable, right? It is the remnant that will be saved. And so out of all the millions of people, thousands of people that are alive, that descended from Abraham, there's actually only a portion that I'm saving. There's a stump. There's a little holy stump, and those are the people that I'm saving. Turn to Romans 11 real quick, talking about remnant. We'll, go, we'll move forward and see how Paul reiterates this idea again. It's not just one place. Verse, uh, starting in verse 1, Romans 11, 1. Paul says this, I say then, God has not rejected his people, has he? Talking about Israelites. May it never be, for I too am an Israelite, a descendant of Abraham of the tribe of Benjamin. God has not rejected his people whom he foreknew. Or do you not know that what the scripture says in the passage about Elijah? So talking back to the time of Elijah, right after the prophets of Baal. Elijah gets alone, and he's, he's actually running from uh, the bad queen. Who's the bad queen? Jezebel. Oh, yeah, there we go. Jezebel. So, Jezebel comes after Elijah. He's fleeing. He's running away. He's in a cave, I believe, out in the wilderness somewhere. And the Lord says, this is what Elijah says to the Lord. Lord, they have killed your prophets. They have torn down your altars, and I alone am left. And they are seeking my life. So... Isaiah believe, or Elijah believes that I alone am left. All the Israelite people that I'm with, they've, they've, they've all gone astray. They've all, they've all done these bad things, and they're all against me and against you. And he might feel that way because the majority of the crowds were probably chasing him. He felt like it was the whole everybody, right? He probably really sincerely felt that. But, but God gives him the truth here. Verse 7. I'm sorry, verse 5. Uh, verse 4. Keep going up. But what is the divine response to him? This is what God says to Elijah. I have kept. I have kept. Not they have kept. 
I have kept. I have kept for myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to Baal. Not they have kept themselves for me, it's I have kept for myself. And so why did, what is God's motivation for doing this? For himself, for his own glory, for his own power to be put on display. And so the prophet knows too, man, God's powerful. But notice the number. He says specifically, I have kept for myself. What's the number? Is that every single Israelite alive at the time? And is that every single person on the face of the earth at the time? No. God gives a number. That says that that's the divine response. Who wants to argue with the divine response? Hopefully no one here. I used to. But that was foolish. Back to Romans 9. So the remnant is going to be saved, and we see that the remnant oftentimes is a much smaller number than we would like it to be from a human perspective. Yet at the same time, thousands of people throughout time and throughout the ages, millions of people, it's actually innumerable how, for us to count probably how many people God has actually saved. But there's exponentially more that are lost. It's small portions of people on the earth that God saves. So talking about the Jews, Jews... Don't be angry. Look to your own scriptures. It's a small portion of us that the Lord keeps for himself, is what Paul's saying. Don't be angry against the Gentiles because they're believing, and it seems like they are way outnumbering us now in the church. God says that he only kept 7,000 men, which means there would have been some women and children too, for himself. But males are the representative heads in God's theological system of the people that he saved. It's the remnant that's going to be saved. For the Lord will execute his word on the earth thoroughly and quickly. And another quote, verse 29 in your Bible, 929. Just as Isaiah foretold, unless the Lord of Sabaoth, or angel armies or hosts, so this is a term that describes God's destructive wrath, that he has powerful angels ready to do his wrath and justice upon the earth. And that's very fitting for what he's going to say. Unless the Lord of angel armies had left to us a posterity, meaning a remnant or a group of people or some descendants that are for this, we... All of Israel, meaning everybody in Israel, we, Israelites, we would have become like Sodom and would have resembled Gomorrah. And if you look to the Old Testament, there was total annihilation of the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. Total annihilation. Unless the Lord of angel armies left to us Israelites some people whom he was willing to save we would have we should have resembled Sodom and Gomorrah 
We are all sinful, Isaiah says. I'm a man of unclean lips, and I dwell amongst the people of unclean lips. Isaiah is saying, we are all sinful, and we deserve to be destroyed. I don't deserve to be in the presence of the king. I don't deserve to see his glory or the train of his robe. And I've had a vision, and I'm afraid, and I'm laying on my face. And so this is serious. This is not a light topic. This isn't fluffy. And people want a fluffy message. We want, we want to be cuckooed and coddled. We want a God who's like Santa Claus, who just takes us up on our knee and gives us whatever our selfish heart desires. Squabbling, looking like a bunch of savage kids. God is holy, and he has the right to change us, to make us obedient, and to save whomever he desires. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for your truth. God, help it to pierce our hearts deeply. Lord, as you describe your word as a sword, and as you describe your word like a hammer upon an anvil, striking whatsoever you will. But Lord, you say in Isaiah 55 that your word will not fail upon the earth for the purpose for which you sent it. That salvation would be a powerful and effective and effectual salvation for those to whom you poured it out upon. God, help everyone in this room to become more zealous, understanding that you bought them with your own blood and that you are their possession, people, beloved, sons of the living God, daughters of the living God, that they would be zealous for good deeds, that they would be zealous for you, Jesus Christ, and that they would have a greater esteem and awe and reverence for you and your lordship, that they would worship you greatly with their life and with every word, thought, and deed. God, help us as a church to shine brightly for you. Do not take our light from us as you said you would in churches in Revelation for being unfaithful. God, help us to be a faithful people. Help us to understand that you are a great God. But also, Lord, give us the joy of the salvation, the wonderful joy and, and the glad faith that's in you. It's both. It's fear and joy at the same time. Amen. We have five minutes for questions.